Today on Blue 58, the Packers have a chance to do something this week they haven't done yet this season, build on their own success. Can they do it against the Steelers? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. It's not entirely true what I said in the opening there. The Packers have been building on what small success that they have had over the course of the season. And I think against the Rams, we saw that really come to the fore for a few reasons. For one, the Rams were really well positioned for the Packers to beat them. But for another, the Packers just matched up well with them and they executed well. They did what they wanted to do and they got the win. And now they have a chance to get their second win in a row for the first time this year. That's important. I think it's important for reasons that date back to Mike McCarthy. One of my favorite Mike McCarthyisms is when he talked about stacking success. It sounds like coach speak, and it is. But it is also a thing that matters. The point that Mike McCarthy was trying to get on there, or to get across there, was that you have to be consistently successful to be an NFL player. To earn a spot on a 53-man roster, you have to be able to build on the things that you do well and then continue to do those things game after game, week after week, practice after practice, until you become the best version of yourself that you can be. And even then, you have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it because otherwise you're going to find somebody else who can't. It's imperative to continue to build on the things that you do well and stack those successes. In the intro to my picks for this week, which you can read at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or via thepowersweep.substack.com, or you can just read the intro itself without the picks at thepowersweep.com, I talked about working in radio. And I got to work with a couple really good talk radio hosts during my time there. Talk radio is a really hard gig. If you've never sat down and tried to make coherent points into a microphone, you will understand very quickly that it's not quite so simple as just pressing the on button and going. If you listen to this podcast, you probably think, wow, yeah, you prove that each and every episode. It it clearly is very hard because you haven't figured it out yet. My point is, what you hear on the radio, if you still listen to the radio, or even podcasts like a, a distilled form of, of talk radio stuff, it takes a lot of practice. And it takes a lot of prep work, too. I had a broadcasting professor who said you should be prepping two hours off air for every hour that you're going to be on air. So think about that if you're going to do a three-hour talk radio slot, say from noon to three, or hit drive time from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., something like that. you got to be doing another six hours off air before you even open things up and go on air. I have found that to be basically true. But to bring it back to the point, I got to work with a couple of really good talk radio hosts while I was there, people who are going to go into broadcasting hall of fames. Very, very good, very, very good guys. They knew what they were doing. They knew how to manipulate an offense or an, an audience to get callers, to work a subject in a way that you could, they could get you to agree with them even if you didn't want to. If nothing else, they, you were going to react to what they were saying in a way that was going to get you to continue to listen. All of those things are big parts of that job. And one day, I was sitting down to do a newscast, and I, I asked one of them, I said, hey, 
what is it like to do your job for as long as you've done it? You know, how, what do you, you know, what do you think about when you sit down to, to do this job? And his answer actually surprised me. He said, you know, anybody could do this for a day. If you sat down and, you know, with a little bit of prep work, you could probably put together a decent talk show for a day. The trick is learning how to do it day after day after day after day. And he kind of riffed on that for a while. And it comes down to, you know, knowing your audience, understanding what they want to hear about, figuring out what works for you and building on that and being able to replicate it. It's a process. It's a constant learning process to implement those things and learn about them. And it it takes a while. And a lot like the NFL or any professional sports league or any high demand position, you're either going to figure that out quickly enough to implement those lessons and be able to continue to get opportunities, or you're going to lose your job and somebody else is going to take it. But it's all about stacking success. This week is about stacking that success. Even beyond winning the game, there are some areas where I think that the Packers can stack some success here. And in fact, I think it comes down to three different areas. It comes down to players, individual players, position groups or units, and overall team trends. In terms of individual players, I think stacking success starts with Jordan Love. Hey, that's the story of the season. That's where we've been for a long time. We've got to talk about Jordan Love. Wins are not a quarterback stat. I will go to the mat on that one. That is a hill I will die on. Wins are not a quarterback stat, which is why, say, just to pull an example, for instance, if you were trying to determine, say, who the greatest quarterback of all time is, it's meaningless to do it by wins or by Super Bowl wins or things like that, but we're not here to talk about that. Wins are not a quarterback stat, though. There's a lot of different things that go into a win that are outside of a quarterback's control. But... The Packers got a win, and Jordan Love played reasonably well. And putting up a second solid performance in a row goes a long way toward getting the Packers a win. To throw a bone to the wins are a quarterback stat, people. The quarterback does have, relative to the rest of the roster, a disproportionate impact on whether or not you win or lose. He gives you, if he's a high-level player, a really good shot at winning if he plays well. Still, there are many things outside the quarterback's control and blah, blah, blah. One of those things, for instance, is whether or not a guy can catch the ball. So if Jordan Love is stacking his own success, who else has to stack it with him? How about Christian Watson? One catch does not a season make. However, Christian Watson did two good things last week. He came down with a catch, and he came down with a catch that resulted in significant yardage for the Packers. He pulled up a or pulled down, I guess, a contested catch on the Packers' last drive, last meaningful drive. And he did it in a way that he has struggled with this season. That was his first in 10 opportunities, his first contested catch. That is some success he can build on. I'm still not entirely sure what Christian Watson's role in the Packers' offense is right now. And I'm not sure that they entirely know, and I'm not entirely sure that's a bad thing as this offense continues to iterate. One thing I think that has been clear over the course of the season is that the offense isn't quite what they wanted it to be in terms of the jobs that people are doing. But you still have to figure out how you're going to utilize the pieces the Packers have. Because even if the players that they have overall aren't the solution here, 
I think you do have guys on the Packers offense that can create mismatches even if they're not overall very good players. And even if they do turn out to be overall good players, they're not quite there yet. So you can figure out how you want to use them along the way. And you can still use them in interesting and useful ways. I'm not sure Watson's usage has been quite there yet. I'm not sure how big a role injuries have played in that, but I don't think he's quite gotten to that point yet. However, a big catch, a big catch in a situation where he has struggled is a pretty good building block. Similarly, I think Sean Ryan's got a real opportunity here. Now, it looks like John Running is trending back toward being healthy, and if so, if he is healthy, I have to assume that he's going to get the nod on Sunday. However, Sean Ryan did get his first, I almost said first significant playing time, but really it was his first playing time of any sort last week. Some reps at right guard and at left guard over the course uh, of that game. There are opportunities to be had on the Packers' offensive line, depending what they want to do, moving things around. And even looking to the future, there are going to be spots opening up even next year. As of right now, I would say three of the Packers' five offensive line spots are, are, are basically settled for next season, but that means two of their four are pretty, or two of their five are pretty wide open. Left tackle is going to remain a question mark, I think, into 2024. Rashid Walker and Yash Nyman have kind of been battling things out there, but Yash Nyman is a free agent. Of course, David Bakhtiari's situation is still playing out. And Rashid Walker would be among the more vulnerable starters on the offensive line, put it that way. John Runyon, meanwhile, is going to be a free agent this offseason, and if you're looking for a ready-made opportunity for Sean Ryan, there you go. Being ready to go in a situation like that is paramount. And if John Runyon can't go, the opportunity for Sean Ryan is going to be huge this week to start a game because it looks like he would probably get the the nod right now above Royce Newman. If he can play well, that is some pretty considerable success to stack. Finally, how about Robert Rochelle? This may not even count as stacking success because (laughs) he hasn't really had any, hasn't really had any opportunities in Green Bay so far. We didn't talk about Robert Rochelle when he was signed, but the Packers nabbed him off practice squad or someplace. I don't know. It was kind of during the the weirdness we had going on in September and October. Uh, but Matt LaFleur spoke about him today, seemingly indicating that he's going to get some significant opportunities if Jair Alexander can't go. And by all accounts, it looks like Alexander is not going to be ready to go on Sunday, having missed a couple practices already this week. It may not be stacking success, but Rochelle's a elite athlete who's now going to get a lot of opportunities, potentially after just playing five snaps on special teams against the Rams. Opportunity knocks in unusual times as an NFL football player. How about at the unit level? We talked about Christian Watson specifically, but I think the wide receivers in generally were better against the Rams than they've been for most of this season. That's not saying a lot, but they were better it does kind of feel like guys are settling into their roles. And one of those roles, I think, is is Dontavion Wicks just taking on a bigger one. But guys are figuring out where they need to be in the pecking order, in the overall scheme, and that's a good thing. And if the Packers wide receivers can continue to succeed at the, the level that they did last week, it's only going to make everything work better for the offense. It makes life a heck of a lot easier for Jordan Love it makes everything easier for the rest of the offense because you don't have to put hang so much on the run game. If your passing game isn't performing and your hope is that the run game is going to bail you out, I mean, good luck 
you're already up a creek without maybe like half a paddle there, not without a paddle entirely, but you're in rough shape if you're counting on your run game to bail you out in the 2023 NFL. If the if the wide receivers can kind of raise their game as they did last week, the Packers offense is in much better shape than it was earlier this season. Building off of Robert Rochelle too, I think if the Packers defensive backs build off their success from last week, that is a significant step in the right direction for the Packers defense too. This is an especially interesting opportunity for the Packers defensive backfield because of the kind of quarterback they're going to be facing. Last week, and I feel like we've belabored this point, but it is absolutely true. Just the Rams themselves have told us this was true, but Brett Rippon is not an NFL starter here. He's a backup, and it doesn't look like he's a backup that they want to have, given that they tapped out of the Brett Rippon experience after two games and said, it looks like Carson Wentz is going to be the guy that we want. And if you've seen how Carson Wentz's career has played out over the last few years, you understand what they're saying there. That's that. That is a good effort against a guy who probably shouldn't be starting on Sundays. Kenny Pickett is a different sort of animal here. He may not be great, and he may not be the long-term starter in Pittsburgh, but at the very least, he is the Pittsburgh Steelers' preferred starter, which says, which is an entirely different thing that, for, that you have to approach. Your offense is presumably tailored to him in a way that it wasn't for Brett Rippon, at least at a much more meaningful level. If Brett Rippon is getting conservatively 40% of the playbook, let's just throw out a number there, Pickett is at 85 to 100% of where they want the playbook to be. Even if he hasn't unlocked all his capabilities yet, even if they are still struggling on offense, you've still got a lot more to work with with Pickett being there, just being your guy, than the Rams did with Rippon coming in as a backup, as an injury replacement for, for Matt Stafford. That presents a different kind of challenge for the Packers' defensive backs. And if they can succeed against Pickett like they did against Rippon last week, I think with a, well, they, they did have Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. I was going to say against a slightly better receiver, so I'm not sure it is slightly better, but George Pickens presents a different kind of challenge for the Packers' defensive backs this week. But if they can succeed against Pickett, I think that's another significant step in the right direction. Now, what about trends? The first trend I want to talk about in terms of building success is the run defense. The Packers' run defense has, let's not say it's been good to great. Let's just say it's been headed in the right direction over most of the last month or so. Three of the Packers' last four opponents have rushed for fewer than 100 yards over the course of the game. The last two weeks, they've kept teams under 70 yards per game. There are other weaknesses on this Packers defense. It could just be that the teams that they've played the last couple weeks have just not been able to take advantage of the Packers' defensive fronts. However, those numbers are not inconsiderable either. Twice isn't a trend, but it doesn't seem like a little bit more than a coincidence. And the Packers have had some success against their opponents' rushing offenses for most of the past month. It at least seems to be headed in the right direction. If they can do it again against Najee Harris, okay, now we have to start paying attention yet a little bit more. How about three and out avoidance for another trend? The Packers have done a much better job over the past few weeks of avoiding three and outs. They only had two of them against the Rams. They also had a drive that only lasted one play, but that was because of a fumble. But they opened the Vikings game with four straight three and outs which is actually a bit of a recent outlier. Over the past month or so, they've been trending away from three and outs as well. They had four against the Lions, 
but just one against the Raiders and two against the Broncos, and then just three against the Rams. The Vikings game, again, four straight, that was a problem, but they've generally been able to sustain drives a little bit more over the last month or so than they were doing earlier. That, I think, again, is a step in the right direction. Has it been great? No. Has the offense still looked very labored at times, even in the first half against the Rams? Absolutely, yes. But just being able to get a couple of first downs <laughs> says a lot uh, about where the Packers were earlier this season. It, it, is, it was in rough shape earlier this season. I, I was thinking back to that the Falcons game where the Packers surrendered the, what was it, 12-point lead. It was 24-12, to 12, and they ended up losing 25-24 uh, or whatever it was. Um, but just the, the extent to which they could not move the ball in the third and fourth quarter, just brutal. There was nothing working on offense there. And there have been long stretches like that in a lot of games this year, but against the Rams, they were able to at least manufacture first downs at a pretty consistent basis. Those are the areas where I would be looking for the Packers to build success. What about this question of complementary football? This is something that we've brought up a few times this year. Uh, and our Discord regular, Rudy, the good question asker, returns with another good question this week regarding complementary football. And I wanted to take a couple seconds to talk about that in this podcast. Rudy asks, is there a way to measure complementary football and its impact on defensive performance? If your offense is terrible, your defense is on the field for more snaps. If your defense is on the field for more snaps, there is increased risk of overexposure or the other team's offense figuring you out or just good old-fashioned fatigue or injury. Is there a known way of measuring a defense's performance in light of their complementary offense not being so complementary? Did some research on this today. Rudy, thank you for the question. The answer I came up with is I'm not sure. I couldn't really find a lot of substantive information about complementary football being measured in a way that strikes people as meaningful. In fact, I found some people that aren't sure this concept really exists in actuality. But I think it it's something that seems self-evidently true to me in meaningful ways. So here are some things that are worth watching in terms of complementary football. There may not be just one way of, of measuring it or one stat or something like that, but there are some things that you can look at in terms of the offense and defense helping each other out. The score, for one thing, the defense doesn't, doesn't allow very many points. That is some pretty solid complementary football because it puts your offense in a position to succeed by doing less. It makes the, the offensive job easier if you're only giving up three points. For instance, say there was a recent game where the Packers' defense only gave up three points. Even if the Packers' offense only had scored seven, it would have been good enough. Oh, wait, that was last week. Packers' defense did a pretty good job. They sure did not have an offensive juggernaut on the other side. But they shut the Rams down and made things a lot easier for the Packers' offense. Even though the Packers' offense struggled, the defense was there for them. Just said, hey, we got these guys locked down. Take as much time as you need. When you get it in the end zone, it'll be more than enough. And it was. More nuanced than that, I think we can think about just the offense putting the defense in the position to play how they want to play. We've talked about this from a philosophical standpoint basically since the start of the Mike Pettin era in Green Bay. Pettin and Barry, and I think basically everybody in the NFL, want to play a specific way on defense. They want to be able to play fairly light 
so that you can drop a guy, a bunch of guys in coverage. Those two things kind of going together. You want to have lighter, faster guys on the field so they can run around and cover a bunch of open space, which involves, you know, just having a bunch of defensive backs on the field. And then they want to get pressure with their guys up front rushing four or five so you can get after the quarterback or at least keep things even with the offensive line facing off against five rushers and then cover everything behind them. Playing light exposes you to the run game. And the Packers under Pettin and under Barry have learned that lesson again and again and again. Joe Barry wants to play coverage and rush four or five. The Packers don't blitz very much. They rush five guys almost exclusively. Five technically would count as a blitz, but really it's kind of a fake blitz because you're really not bringing more guys than the offensive line can account for. There's five offensive linemen. If you're just bringing five guys, either you have to be creative with your pressure or just beat guys one-on-one because you don't have a man advantage um, when you're bringing that kind of pressure. So that's it's kind of fake blitzing numbers if you're only bringing five guys. But if the offense is doing their job, and getting out to a lead where the the opposing offense has to pass more, it's easier for your defense to do things like play light. They can play how they want. They can play the coverages that they want because they've got the defensive backs available, just the personnel available. That is complementary football. That means getting offenses out of situations where they can just run, 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 run. Easier said than done, but that is complementary football. Then finally, I think just moving the ball. We talked about three and outs. That is a a good thing to avoid, obviously. But more than that, I think it comes down to field position. And this, I think, is more true than just the fatigue aspect. You you talk about the, you know, the old school coach speak, you know, your defense just gets tired out late in the game. I've seen some research on that that suggests it's not really the case that defenses are getting tired. It may be, as Rudy suggests, just an overexposure sort of thing. The more snaps your defense is out there, the more opportunities that the bright offensive minds that you're going up against have an opportunity to figure you out. But moving the ball when you're on offense does something else. It puts the opposing offense in a situation where they're probably taking over in worse field position. Say you have a drive that starts on your own 25 and you go seven yards and punt. You punt at 50 yards. Okay. I'm not exactly sure where the math works out there, but you're going to take over in much different field position than if you get two to three first downs and you're punting from close to midfield and you're able to pin a a team deep. Those sorts of things add up over the course of a game. If you're avoiding just putting the defense back out on the field right away, chances are you're moving the ball, you're changing the field position, and that makes it easier for the defense to do their job because the other offense has to go so much farther to get points. It's these little things that add up over the course of a football game. I did a study a few years back, it would have been six years ago now, about how the opposing defense fared, or how the Packers defense fared, excuse me, when Brett Hundley was the Packers quarterback versus when Aaron Rodgers was that quarterback that season. And really it just came down to field position. The opposing offense's average starting field position was it was somewhere ridiculous. It was like 15 to 20 yards, maybe even more than that different when Hundley was at quarterback than when Rodgers was at quarterback because the Packers were moving the ball more. They were scoring more points. When you're scoring points, you're getting touchbacks. So the, the offense is only starting at most at the 25. If you're punting a lot, it's, it's farther up than that. And it sounds so simple and stupid. Like, 
offense starts farther back good offense starts farther up bad like it's like knuckle dragger neanderthal caveman football but all this is about football all that football is about is field position and possessing the ball i will never forget coach washington way back in the cedar grove broncos football days way back when i was in junior high holding up the football on the first week of practice and just saying guys this is what it's about we get this we win we let them have it, we lose. If they have the ball more than we have the ball, chances are they're going to figure out how to get it in the end zone. If we have the ball and take care of it, chances are we're going to figure out how to put it in the end zone. It just comes down to that. We talk about DVOA. We talk about EPA, CPOE, adjusted net yards per attempt, pro football focus ratings, quarterback ratings, completion percentage, you know, yards per attempt. I'm repeating myself now. All those things are well and good, but if you just protect the ball, move the ball, the geography of the football field is going to favor you more than it doesn't. It's, it's funny how simple the game can get when you look at things that way. But that is complementary football, and that's how these things tend to work. Finally, I wanted to mention a couple interesting things or things that I think are interesting about the Steelers. Um we've kind of tended away from more in-depth previews this, this year. I do want to talk about a couple of their guys that I find interesting. I do not want to talk about TJ Watt. I feel like we've done that topic to death, 2017 to present. It's been six years of talking about it. We don't have to talk about TJ Watt. Let's instead talk about a couple complimentary pass rushers that the Steelers have. Alex Highsmith, for instance, he actually has a higher overall pass rush win rate this season and a higher win rate on true pass sets, both according to Pro Football Focus, than TJ Watt does. Why do we bring up Alex Highsmith? Well, for one thing, he's good. For another, it's another draft miss for the Packers. Highsmith went eight picks after the Packers selected Josiah DeGuara in 2020. Also fit a lot of their measurable thresholds and production things that we look at on this podcast. Nevertheless, uh, the Packers went in a different direction that year. Just can't get away from talking about Steelers' edge rushers, can we? Also moving around up front is Keanu Benton. The stats aren't great so far this year, which is kind of what you expect for uh, you know young defensive linemen. But he was a good fit schematically and athletically for the Packers, so I thought we would take a look into some of what he's done so far this year. Again, the numbers aren't great, not even really worth mentioning. He is over 10% in his win rate on true pass sets, according to Pro Football Focus, so that is throwing out things like play action and screens and um, basically just looking at plays where he has a chance to get after the quarterback rushing past an offensive lineman. He's over 10%, which is pretty good. He has also lined up at every defensive line spot so far for the Steelers. He's all over the place on their front, a a versatile piece. Uh, Seems like he would have been a great fit in Green Bay. He went one pick ahead of where the Packers selected Jaden Reed. Kenny Pickett, we mentioned already, uh, at 20 starts over two seasons now, um, after being selected by the Steelers 20th overall in the 2022 NFL Draft. He is pro football focus is 28th graded quarterback in the NFL this year. Jordan Love, for comparison, is 27th. Um, he is 31st in the NFL in composite EPA per play, if you like the more advanced stuff. There is a long-running conversation going about Steelers offensive quarter- coordinator Matt Canada. Is he the problem? Is Kenny Pickett the problem? Are those problems complementary? You can see how these sort of issues build really quickly, though, because if your offensive coordinator isn't super creative and your quarterback is pretty limited, 
you've already got two pretty big strikes against you on offense, and it's going to be hard for you to get out of that hole, which is why it's so important to make sure you nail it when you've got the opportunity to take a quarterback and you need one in the first round. This, I think, is a bit of a draft issue or maybe just more of a timing issue. Like I said, Pickett went 20th overall in 2022. By and large, I think that is fairly considered a pretty poor quarterback class. He was, like I said, the first quarterback off the board at 20th overall. The next quarterback was Desmond Ritter, and he wasn't taken until 74. Sometimes it's just bad timing when you got to have a quarterback, which, you know, to be fair, may be a point in Brian Gutekunst's favor on drafting love. Still got to get it right when you do it. And I think both the Packers and Steelers are trying to figure out if they did, in fact, get it right. Also coming to the Steelers in 2022 was wide receiver George Pickens. He is third in the 2022 receiving class so far in career receiving yards behind only Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, despite having uh, some uncertainty at quarterback basically for the entirety of his still young NFL career. Currently not very happy with how he is being used in the Steelers offense. If I was looking for a situation where a disgruntled wide receiver might have a breakout performance, I might look for a situation where I was going up against a team with some question marks in the secondary. The Packers just happen to supply that right now. So if you have the opportunity to put George Pickens into your fantasy football lineup, now might be the time. I'd like to finish out by talking about Nick Herbig, an interesting player, small edge rusher, six foot two, two 240 pounds, fit a lot of what we look for in terms of production and just overall athleticism at edge rusher. Hasn't really played a big role so far, 83 snaps on defense, but he's been all over the place on the Steelers special teams. And he hops in on both edges and even has played two snaps as a corner for the Pittsburgh Steelers. His three best graded games of the season, according to Pro Football Focus, have been the last three weeks. Seems to be coming on a little bit as a player. But I bring him up because it's a good example of how guys who succeed in the NFL, and it it, it may be going a little bit too far to say he's succeeding in the NFL, but guys can have success in the NFL. Put it that way. Guys can have success in the NFL despite not necessarily always looking the part. Herbig is small. Six foot two and 240 pounds. Looking at him on the TV screen, you might wonder if those numbers are accurate. Just put it that way. But he seems to get the job done, and more importantly, he's gotten the job done enough to get himself on a 53 man roster, to earn snaps on defense, and to be apparently a significant member of the Pittsburgh Steelers special teams. As often as we talk about, you know, size and strength and speed and athleticism, sometimes it's guys that don't have all of those things. Maybe they only have a couple of them that end up sticking in the NFL. That's kind of what makes this sport great in a lot of ways. And there's going to be guys like that on the Packers who take non-traditional paths to the roster, who just maybe look a little bit different, maybe don't have the most polished game, maybe the bad body offensive lineman that, you know, sometimes gets mentioned in scouting circles, but they just get the job done. Maybe Herbig is that kind of player for the uh, for the Steelers, and the Packers have a few of those guys as well. Doesn't always have to be pretty. Doesn't have to look like the prototype. You just got to get the job done. And if you get the job done, you're going to keep having a job in the NFL. 
That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.